This is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, January the 17th, 2022. We are back with another week of content for you guys. Today we're going to talk about Muscovy Ducks, the marvelous Muscovy as I call them. Um, I'm actually doing a show today called 16 Reasons Why Muscovy Ducks Are the Perfect Homesteading Bird. And the way I'll sum it up is I don't necessarily think that means that they're the right thing for everyone. But I think they are the right bird for the most people based on what I constantly hear that people really are looking for when they ask me about getting into chickens or ducks or quails or anything. Because I, I, I constantly hear from people that say that what they want is eggs and meat. Eggs and meat. And... I mean, sheer production volume and able to hide in plain sight, it's hard to be quail. But you are kind of in a caging rack system. When people say they want to have animals that are really in kind of that homestead environment, that they you know they free range at least part of the day, uh, they want to be able to control their animals, they want to get product of both egg and meat from the animal, they want ease of care, uh, they want an animal that they can reproduce without having to rely on a hatchery, etc., The Muscovy duck, as you'll hear today, ticks every box and a bunch more, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is a new sponsor. We don't have them very often. We did bring on a new sponsor this year, though, Start9 Embassy Servers. If you want to take your complete and total privacy back, if you want control over everything in your digital world, you want to get yourself into a Start9 Embassy Server. They are amazing products. I have one myself. I run it all the time now. There's a bit of a learning curve, but as you go, it gets easier and easier. Start9 is going to be working with us to start providing some uh, educational content to go along with their sponsorship to help hold your hand and walk you through things over time. But it really isn't that hard. And anything you want to do, I guarantee you there's a YouTube video out there showing you how to do it. But if you want to be able to run, for instance, your own lightning node, you can do that with a Start9 server. You can install it with a click. If you want to have complete control and privacy with your email, if you want to have the ability to access everything from anywhere with complete privacy, if you want end-to-end, -end, not just encrypted, but unbreakable encrypted chat with other people, you can run that on a Start9 server and you can do a bunch more. And you can get a huge discount if you're an MSB member. I'm really excited to have brought Start9 on with us. Check them out today at, you guessed it, Start9.com. Next up today, ButcherBox. I'll tell you what. ButcherBox is another relatively new sponsor relative to the TSP audience, right? So by that I mean like three years old now that we've been working with ButcherBox. They're incredible people over there. Daniel over there has not forgotten that we helped build ButcherBox and that it was people like us that they reached out to in the very beginning when nobody knew who they were. They're a national brand now. They advertise on national cable TV, uh, but yet they have not forgotten how they got started. For instance, they're sponsoring the Anarchapocal Watch Party in February. They're sending me a big pile of sirloin tips, which I love from them, by the way, and a big pile of their, their grass-fed beef bratwurst. Um, so they're still supporting us. Whenever there's any sort of minor hiccup, somebody needs help, Daniel always helps us out from over there. Anytime I reach out and ask them to support anything we're doing, he does it. And most of the time, when they're running some kind of a special, it's only for new people. 
I most not all the time. You can get fired if you did it all the time. Most of the time, I'm able to get those new special add-ons like lifetime products for one payment for this audience. I mean, I've stacked lifetime wings, lifetime bacon, uh, lifetime ground beef, and lifetime flank steak into my box. Now I know you're sitting there thinking, "Well, Jack, can I get in on all that?" No, but as things come up, you know, I. Work with what I can. And again, they keep working with us and keep doing this for us. It is incredibly high-quality meat, grass-fed beef, pastured pork, pastured poultry, delivered fresh to your door, and they really do pay attention to what their customers want. Check them out today at ButcherBox.com. All right, so today we're talking about Muscovy Ducks, and I'm going to be giving you 16 reasons that I think they are the ultimate homestead bird, and just because I didn't want the title to be long, I would really say the ultimate homestead bird, the ultimate bird for livestock in small, large systems, certainly the ultimate small livestock for permaculture-based systems, including in ways that they can actually support larger livestock like cattle uh, and, and horses, etc., with fly control. We'll be talking about a lot of that today. And uh, I, I do want to just kind of say a few things here at the beginning of this episode. With the Survival Podcast, I cover things like we're talking about today that have nothing to do with the news. They have nothing to do with, with political stuff. They have nothing to do with bureaucracy. They have nothing to do with, directly anyway, the problems that we face in today's world. And I cover those other things, too. And I consider myself very non-political because I don't take a side in their false dichotomy. Um, But I do have to say, hey, look, these people over here are doing this thing, and it could affect you throughout doing this show. But I think it's important that we take time, like we're doing today, where we talk about things that have absolutely nothing to do with that, that live up to the show credo, which is helping you live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. That's what this entire thing's been built on for, uh, it will be 14 years in June that I've been doing this. And, and that's, that's what I've been doing from day one. That long, clunky tagline, I, I accepted it and used it because it, it really is what we're all about here. And I'm going to try to make a commitment to you that if not two episodes a week, minimum one episode a week from now on will be like this, where we don't give a damn what's going on outside of the things that we have 100% direct control over. We'll still cover those other things. And I know that if I put up a video title that's something like, the reason the apocalypse is now, or like my 12 predictions for 2022 or whatever, if I go into that world, I get more eyeballs. I get more views. I get more comments. I get more engagement. I get more shares. And it's very tempting as a personality on YouTube or any platform, podcast platforms, etc., to, to just run with that so that you can build the biggest audience you can. But then you have a bunch of people out there running around upset, but they don't really know the tools that are necessary to build a stronger and better life. So we're going to be talking about how to do that with ducks, and specifically Muscovy ducks today. All right, so I just brought Muscovy, buck, Muscovy, bucks, Muscovy ducks back to Nine Mile Farm after an absence of about three years. And so when I, when I decided to do this episode today, I'm like, they're going to be like, sure, Jack, they're the, because you just got them. I was like, I've had them before, and I've grown up with them in my life uh, since I was a little kid. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and we had ponds like in every apartment complex, every subdivision. There's ponds. Florida just is pond central, right? Because there's so much rain, it's a, it's a good way to mitigate flooding. So they put these ponds in everywhere. If you have standing water in Florida for more than about 15 minutes, there's fish in it and there's ducks on it. 
And I had these little ducks running around with babies and stuff. And all when I was a kid, I, I did a lot of interaction. We used to feed them bread. And every once in a while, I'd catch one just to see if I could do it and what have you. And watch the mothers bring their babies down to the pond and then stand aghast as they got eaten by turtles, which is probably the reason there's not 500 bazillion of these things. Because when they live on those little ponds, the turtles just really whack the babies heavily. I had them here on the farm for several years. About three, four years ago, somewhere in that range, I got rid of all our ducks, not just the scubby ducks. The land needed a rest. We needed a rest. We needed to make an adjustment. We took a year off, and we started bringing them back in. And when I brought ducks back and some chickens back, I couldn't find any muscovies at the time. And then I kind of like other things were going on. So I made a decision that this year I would bring ducks back. So I've done that. I brought the muscovy ducks back. And the reason I brought them back is because I emphatically believe it when I say they're probably the perfect homestead bird. They're probably the best livestock for the most people in the most situations that have a goal to be self-sufficient and self-reliance with their homesteading activities. And I, I'm going to tell you that I know that sounds like a pretty big claim, but I think when I go through these reasons, you'll understand why I really believe this. Number one is compared to other animals of their size and kind of their space that they occupy in the world of like homestead management or permaculture systems, they're very long-lived. I've kept ducks for a long time now. I am the redneck hippie duck farmer. I've had ducks in my life except for that one year off for eight years. Um, I've developed all types of systems around ducks, and I can tell you that a four-year-old duck is an old duck when you're talking about mallard breeds. And all of the ducks that we keep on homesteads and farms and things like that In general, I know there's people that keep wood ducks and stuff like that that aren't supposed to. But in general, when you go down to the store and you buy some ducks, and they're Indian runners or Cayuga or um, or Silver Apple Yards or, or whatever, Welsh Harlequins, uh, Khaki Campbells, 300 Layers, I don't care what they are, they're all mallards. And they've been selectively bred to have different color characteristics, different behavioral characteristics, different shapes, sizes, weights, growth rates, but they all go back to the mallard. The Muscovy duck is, well, it's a unique thing into itself. It, it, it is a totally different species. They can crossbreed with mallard breeds, but the offspring is kind of like crossbreeding a donkey and a horse. You get a mule. They're, 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 they're not able to reproduce. So they're no threat to like interfering with natural duck populations by creating kind of a new race of duck or anything. And, and because of that, they function enough differently that they're able to, to live longer than mallard ducks for whatever reason. It's just wired into their genetics. And when you get a four-year-old duck and you look at that duck, you're like, that's an old duck. Like, if, if you're tuned in to your animals, you, you know, I can literally look in different generations of the same breed and go, four years old, three years old, two years old, brand new, even though they're all adults. Muscovies, you don't really notice that until they get really, really old. And so they live a long time. In fact, their average age in captivity that they make it to is 12 to 20 years, which means if you're building something and you want to have longevity in it, having animals that also have longevity is great. You have less need to replace them, though, as we'll get to, they're really easy to replace just by letting them do what they do. Um, but next is they do give you a good volume of eggs to go along with that long life. What people will point out, and it's true, is that they do not give you eggs, you know, most of the year like a khaki Campbell or a silver, silver apple yard will or what have you. And I'll tell you, ducks are more seasonal in general than our chickens. Like, 
right now we're not getting a lot of eggs, and they're just starting to pick back up from the winter lull. Um, and that's a normal thing. And our chickens are cranking eggs out already, right? So you will never get as many eggs. You know, you will never you'll never get your eggs spread out as evenly across the year by ducks as chickens. And with muscovies, that'll be less the case. But when they're in production, their production is extreme. I, I can tell you just by numbers alone, I know there are days when you're getting a double egg day from a single bird. And they'll generally produce somewhere between 120 to 150 eggs a season, and that number will go down over time, but it'll stay relatively high. So if you're going to get, if a duck's ever going to give you, a muscovy duck's ever going to give you 150 eggs in a season, she's going to do it in her first season. And then she'll probably go down to that 120 average, and then it'll slowly ebb off down to about 90 to 100 eggs a year as they get to be older. And what I mean by older is at an age that your mallard duck would be giving you a very small quantity or would be dead. And one thing that Biscovies and mallard breeds have in common is they already have this longevity advantage as layers over chickens. Any female bird, human, mammal, whatever, that, that, that creates an egg whether it's an egg that, that grows inside like a mammal does or grows outside the body like a, a bird does, is born, the females are born with a certain number of ovum, meaning they can pass that many eggs and then they're done. They go through what we call in humans menopause, right? Well, ducks, muscovies, and mallards both start with 1,500 ovum. Chickens start with 1,000. That means a chicken, I don't care what breed, I don't care what it looks like, I don't care how productive it is, If you get a thousand eggs out of it, you will not get a thousand and one. It just can't make more. They're born with what they have, and they you know, they grow and develop and pass. Okay. When you have a bird like a muscovy that doesn't try to give you 300 or 250 eggs a year, the the magazine well stays full a lot longer. Is the way to look at it, right? So if you take a fully automatic weapon and let loose with it, you can dump a thousand rounds, but now you're gone. If you use controlled bursts, and so think of muscovies like using a controlled burst with their egg production. So it is seasonal, and you'll get a solid egg production on reason number three they're so great, for eight to ten years because of that. So you have an animal that's able to give you good production for almost a decade versus a chicken, which really gives you one good season, one okay season, and then you have an expensive pet. Or... Regular ducks will give you two good seasons, a third really decent season, and by the fourth season, it's not that they don't have a lot of eggs left, it's just they're really starting to age, and you're getting to a point where you really want to start looking at replacing them due to their age and the fact that their health will begin to decline, and it's time to make duck sausage. Um, again, I've been doing this a long time, so I can tell you that's the case. So you get this good volume of eggs for eight to ten years, and there's a way to mitigate the fact that you're going to have these dry seasons that are going to be longer than typical laying birds. And it's real simple, actually, guys. All that you have to do, because eggs store really well frozen, is have a flock big enough to annually give you as many eggs as you want for your use. And during your high seasons, take your surplus eggs, crack them into a bowl, gently stir them, dump them in the Ziploc bags, maybe four eggs to a bag, and freeze them. Just trust me, when you freeze them, stack them some way that they're going to freeze in a nice condition where they won't stick together or get wedged between things. If you take liquid and you put it in a bag, 
and then you put it into some place that causes it to shape itself, it will freeze that way and get stuck. Ask me how I know, and you end up with a mess. We generally take Tupperware. We lay them flat. Once they're frozen, you can stack them anywhere you want in the freezer. And uh, by doing that, you end up with still having enough eggs for the whole year. Now, if you want some fresh eggs, you can mitigate it further. You can keep some chickens or some quails or some standard ducks or whatever, but you can still have the mainstay of your production come from Muscovies. Next is, they are very, very hardy. Tom here in the chat already said, hey, in Florida, they're everywhere. Absolutely. Like I said, when I grew up, every pond had Muscovy ducks on it. Here in Texas, it gets a lot colder than it did in Jacksonville, Florida, where I grew up. And they're still everywhere. There's a little pond that I catch all the bullheads for my systems out of. There's Muscovies there all the time, and they're having babies all the time. Again, if it wasn't for the fact that these ponds in these little city parks are always overpopulated with turtles, and little peeps go in there and they grab them by the leg and pull them under and eat them, if that wasn't the case, I'm convinced that the Muscovy duck would have taken over suburban America by now because they're so good at reproducing, and they don't... They, they, they don't have a problem with the cold to a degree. Now, I don't know exactly what the threshold of their cold tolerance is. I can tell you that the guy that runs the, the YouTube channel, 50 Ducks in a Hot Tub, who I had on the show years ago, keeps Muscovies in Canada. Now, how much protection and extra you know stuff he has to do for that, I don't know, but he keeps them with his regular flock. So they're, they're probably at least as cold-hardy as any standard duck would be Once they're grown, they have a little bit more struggle with temperature when they're babies before they start to put some weight on and some feathers on. However, once they're past that, I can tell you this, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, which was USDA Zone 6, to kind of put it in perspective from a temperature standpoint, and we had some really bastard cold winters back in the 80s up there, and we were kind of right on the edge of the part of Pennsylvania where it's, you know, Zone 5's right over there. So you're really in kind of a Zone 5 temperature well. There were plenty of you know farmers out in kind of what we used to call the Dutch country, which was all the, the, the PA Dutch farmers, that kept muscovies. They loved them. They kept them heavily with their cattle um, because they're so good at eating flies. And they'd ha you know, they all had ponds, and they'd put up a little structure or a barn, and the ducks would go in there when they wanted to, and they pretty much didn't do anything. Those guys kind of, their belief system was with, with an animal like that, you should have to do as little as possible. And so they didn't even feed them that much, and, and they always did just fine. And so an animal that's that hardy is what you're looking for as a homesteader, especially a new homesteader. Anybody that's teaching uh, animal husbandry into kind of this space will always tell you, like, just expect that when you start keeping animals, you're going to kill some. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to let the brooder get too cold. You're going to let them get stuck in a corner because you don't know not to yet. They're going to build up their own cumulative weight in the brooder, and they're going to crush each other and what have you. I'm not saying that you won't lose any Muscovies. I'm saying they live in places with no support whatsoever. They're basically a wild bird that's never truly been domesticated. And what I mean by that is you can think of a Muscovy duck as a tamed wild bird if it lives on your homestead. Because if you go down into Central and South America where they're native, into the swamps where there are no human beings, you will find populations of wild muscovies that look almost exactly like the birds that we keep on our homesteads today. You won't find a lot of chocolate, silvers, and whites. You'll find that kind of standard black, green, common color. They, and you, If you put two of them next to each other, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. 
The closest thing we have in the homesteading space with mallard breeds is a rowan. And if you put a rowan drake, the males with the pretty green heads, next to a wild mallard, anybody with, with an IQ over 80 can instantly tell you the big giant fat one is the rowan. We've domesticated the mallard breed, meaning that we have selectively bred for generation upon generation to create all these different forms and things. And when we do that, we get a lot from it, but we also weaken the species in its ability to survive in the wild. The, the Muscovy duck is virtually unchanged from wild stock. If, if you were to die and there's water nearby, they'll probably establish a colony and survive. Where if you, you, know, you have a bunch of Indian runners or something, they're probably going to all end up dead pretty quick. So they are incredibly hardy. Number five, they require, you know, part of being hardy, minimal shelter. Now, I recommend that you give them kind of a three-sided shelter at minimum. Mine stay in a great big, you know, 12 by 16 tough shed coop with the chickens and the other ducks. Why? Because when I moved here, that building was sitting there. And it would just be foolish for me not to use it because it's perfect for that. It was set up as a goat barn, so it makes it really easy for me to just use what was already here. But you can set them up with a little coop and a small, like a little three-sided shelter where it's best suited to protect them from the wind, and they'll be fine. Now, how do we know they'll be fine? Because they live in park ponds with no shelter whatsoever, and they do fine. So they don't need a lot of housing expense expended on them. So if you can, if you can pair them to chickens, especially as you get into colder climates, Chickens need a lot more protection than a Muscovy duck or any duck does. And a lot of this stuff I'm saying applies to general ducks and Muscovy ducks. And a lot of it applies to ducks and Muscovies, but more to Muscovies. And this one I'd say it's about equal. It's about equal. Ducks in general require minimal shelter. But the next thing is unique to Muscovies when you get into waterfowl. They're not very messy. Anybody who's kept regular ducks know you put out a kiddie pool or a concrete mixing tub or whatever water that you give them if you don't have a pond. Two of them go in there for five minutes, and the water's black. It's really more brown, but it's full of poop. It, they hit the water, and they eject, and they eject nasty. And they mud everything up. Every place it gets wet, they stick their beaks in, they make mud, they pack it down, etc. I'm not saying Muscovies don't do that. I'm saying they do it so much less. When you, when you give muscovies kind of a tub of water to themselves and if the other ducks stay away from it, you know, you, you can't believe that ducks have been in there that much, and they have. They just create less waste, and they do less mess. Now, where they don't do less mess, if they get up onto a patio, ducks in general, including muscovies, when they poop, it's a nasty poop compared to a chicken. It's wet, and it's a lot of volume. So I'm not saying there's no mess. I'm saying there's less mess than your conventional ducks. Next, exceptional meat. Now, I've been eating duck my whole life. I used to stand in a swamp in the freezing cold with water just below going over my hip waders to shoot wood ducks in the swamp freezing in Texas because I like to eat duck that much. Mallards too, etc. I've eaten duck that has been hunted in the wild. I've eaten ducks that have been farmed. I've eaten ducks that I've raised myself. I've eaten duck that I've bought in a store. I probably eat about as much duck as I do chicken. I love duck. And I don't have anything negative to say about, you know, raising jumbo peckin' ducks, which are a big mallard breed for, for me. But it's not as good. Something can be good and not as good. Muscovy duck 
doesn't even really taste like duck. What it tastes like, in my opinion, is a very mild beef. And it looks like beef, especially the breast. The quality of the meat is really, honest to God, one of the best proteins I've ever eaten in my life. Okay? Really, it is that flipping good. It is just delicious. We had one uh, before we got rid of the last batch that when I first brought Lucy here, our little homestead dog that does a great job now, she took some training and she just killed one of my drakes. I mean, he wasn't dead, but I needed to put her down. She just hamburgered one side of him. And the day that that happened, I had my friend coming over, so I went ahead and I processed the, the side of the breast that she didn't turn into hamburger meat, put the thighs and legs in the freezer. I took that half of the breast, and I sliced it thin, kind of like you'd slice like backstrap off of a deer. We dusted that with just a little bit of flour, which I, I wouldn't advise all the time because you're throwing carbs in there. But it was like, hey, let's see what this is like. And we deep fried it like chicken fried steak. And then I made a, a sauce out of a gochujang, which is Korean chili paste and mayo. And we did that. We went total carb fest that day. Um, it's also before I lost all the weight. Um, with uh, purple Japanese sweet potatoes double fried. And that, to this day, is one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. It's that memorable. There's very few meals that I can like sit back and go, oh, I remember when. And I guarantee you my buddy, my buddy David that was over here for that meal, would tell you, like the second you tell him that, he's going to be right back in that moment. That's how flipping good this stuff is. And from a production standpoint, it's a lot of meat. The females are about the size of a Drake Mallard breed that's kind of a dual-purpose bird. So about the size of like a silver apple yard or what have you. Not the light breeds like Khaki Campbells and Layers and Indians, but kind of like the Cayuga size, Buffs, etc. That's a female. The males, if you let them really develop, will develop to a point where, you know, even at seven, eight uh, months, they're going to be in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 pounds. And I've seen big ones go over 15. And that is a carcass weight, not a life weight. They are huge, and they are they are really, really massive. Uh, dressed weight, Rob's asking about. Um, I've dressed male muscovies, and I would say an average of a bird that you kind of like, it, born this year and you harvest at the end of the year as you go into winter, uh, in the neighborhood of 9 to 11 pounds is, is very, very common. They are slow-growing compared to something like a crossed chicken, and they are not necessarily going to be really profitable as a as a grow for market crop, though they sell for a hell of a premium. A Muscovy duck female live, I checked this weekend what they sell for from sites like D'Artagnan and all, over $30 for one live bird. And because they do so well as foragers, you don't have a huge feed bill for them. And they take care of themselves and they don't need a lot of attention. But they are exceptional meat quality. Number eight, easy to train. I picked up the birds that I... Now, they were living on a farm with a guy, basically a little backyard farm. So they're not you know, out of the wild or anything like that. But I picked these birds up Saturday. And I already have them where I can send them to bed with the, with the other ducks on the farm. And then right into the coop. And you know, they, they, they already kind of know the rules in a couple days. Now, it helps that there's an existing flock and they kind of follow along, but they do kind of keep to themselves. They, it's not that they don't integrate to get along well with other animals and all, 
but they do kind of like flock together, and you'll see that with ducks anyway. Like, I have ducks now from, from three different years, and you'll even see them kind of move generationally. So they kind of came together, they stay together, but they're easy to train. They're easy to train so that wherever you want them to go at night, they'll go there. And if you want them to go a little bit earlier, you can just kind of move them along. And they're easy to train that, like, this area is bad. They shouldn't go to this place. And all you do with that is kind of go, remember uh, Home Alone, Kevin McAllister, like, ah! Kind of go like Kevin McAllister on them. Like, when they go to a place you don't want them to go, run over there and yell at them. And you do that two or three times, and they're just like, oh, that's a bad place. We shouldn't go there. And I love having an animal that's kind of easy to train into the routine that you want them into. Now, when I say train, I don't mean that they're going to be doing tricks like a dog and rolling over for you, but train to, like, these are the areas I'm supposed to be in. These are the areas I'm not supposed to be in. This is where I need to go at night. I love that in an animal versus, you know, trying to round them up, which, you know, sometimes even with chickens that can become an issue. Number nine, incredibly broody animals. Again, we haven't bred anything out of the Muscovy duck. Literally, the only thing we've done as humans interacting with Muscovy ducks is, one, train them that people mean food, and if you hang out, we'll take care of you. And two, we have done some breeding for color schemes. So we have, you know, silvers and pure whites and pure blacks and stuff like that now. But the reality is we haven't changed them at all from a standpoint of, like, favoring something so much that we lose an innate trait. So a female Muscovy is like a wild bird that has this drive to reproduce, and they're going to do it. The guy that I bought mine from said he bought six birds a couple years ago, and he bought one drake, five hens, and he had birds. like He was like, I'm selling some because I have too many. And this guy, by the way, does raise for profit. Uh, he's in a, like a, it looks like a suburban neighborhood, but he has like a double lot, and he has it very well set up for what he's doing. And it's an older part of the neighborhood, and he has a lot of people that live around him. He said that he has a huge La Laotian community, people from Laos. And he sells to them mostly drakes because they want the big birds. And he said they pay $40 to $45 for a big drake. And the way he delivers that is, here's your duck, buy. And they take care of processing. And, and this is not a wealthy neighborhood by any you know stand. So these guys, they... Again, they're going to brood. They're going to reproduce. He has ducks coming out of the out of his brain. He said, "I don't even know where they go. I don't have that much space, and like a, a hen will just disappear into some clump somewhere, and she'll come out with fifteen to twenty five babies. You know, a, a, you know, almost what? It's almost a month and a half later. They have like a I think their gestation period is thirty seven days. It's either thirty four or thirty seven days. It's the same as geese, if if I remember right." But they're, they're going to brood, they're going to reproduce, they're going to take care of their own, and, and honestly, they'll raise anything. If you have a Muscovy and she goes broody, and you don't want more Muscovies, but you want more Rowans, and you have Rowan eggs, and you stick them under her, she's going to incubate them. When they hatch, she's going to take care of them. I've seen people put chicken eggs under them, and they, they, you know, they rear chickens. They're like, well, I don't know what I've done here, but here it is. And some little mutants came out, and I'm going to take care of them. So incredibly broody, and that means, from a standpoint of a homesteader, it's one less thing for you to do to raise that next generation. You want to change your genetics a bit? All you do is go out and get a new drake. Maybe you retire the old drake as a roaster, you bring the new drake in, you have a whole new line of genetics just by bringing in the new uh, fraternal side, 
and they're going to take care of business for themselves, so you're not sitting there with a box trying to raise these little ducks up. You can do that if you want to, but you don't have to. Next, they are amazing foragers. Now, I will say that there is one limit on their foraging. They're also lazy. They don't range out as far as conventional ducks. I'm not even talking about these new guys, because they're still in, like, we're not sure about this. This is a new place mode. But when I had a, a fairly large flock of muscovies, I think I had about 25 muscovies, and I had about 125, you know, random other duck types, runners and harlequins and all. My ducks, my regular ducks, will range to the absolute limit of the property, to the back fence, to the corners, anywhere uh, out there uh, that, that they can get to. They will go check that out over time. The muscovies, they kind of range out to about where the swimming pool is. They hang out under the deck. They go back in the coop when it's too cold, or they seek out a little bit of shade if it's too hot. And they'll go out and forage, and when they've when they've hammered the pests down enough, because they're very big on foraging flies and midges, mosquitoes, insects of all types. They like to eat, they eat scorpions. They eat anything that moves. Um, if they get hungry enough, they kind of move a little further. But the beauty of this is, is they do so much foraging because they're a wild bird that their feed utilization is actually very high. Now, I think if you had to feed them 100% of their diet, their feed utilization would actually be lower the conventional ducks because they lay less eggs and they grow slower. But if they're raised on any type of place where they can roam, or if they're raised in a way where pests come to them, their, their, their predatory instincts and their foragers are, foraging is really great. And that kind of goes into to, uh, to number 11, which is they are great predators of pests. I couldn't find it. I did find some information on... Um, organic pest management when it comes to livestock using the scubby ducks. And I have a, a write-up on that that I'll include in, in the links uh, with the, the notes today. But I read a study a long time ago in Canada where they brought in, I believe it was five ducks per cow in um, a dairy operation. And the ducks pretty much lived in the barn with the cattle and kind of would follow the cattle out to their exercise yard and back and forth. This was not like a big free-ranging operation. So the ducks were spending a ton of time in the barn where the cattle get milk and things like that. And they have a habit, and this sounds gross, but it's a great thing. They will go through cow manure. They will put their duck, their duck bill right into it, and they will search for things that have passed through the cow that they can eat, like grains and seeds, but mainly what they're looking for is insect larvae. And they will completely destroy fly pest cycle. So you're talking your house flies, you're talking deer flies, you're talking horse flies. So people that are keeping horses, anybody that keeps horses know that horses hate horse flies. It's very painful. They can cause horses to panic and create danger. Um, keeping them there, they're going to stay where all that waste stream is, and they're going to do a massive amount of control. So that predatory thing is really good if they're free-ranging around to keep mosquitoes and things like that down. But if you're raising animals that tend to attract flies and you start keeping muscovies with them, if you keep enough muscovies, you'll pretty much destroy um, any of the problems created um, by those, those insects. And if you keep enough, you pretty much wipe them out. And this study, and again, I wish I could find it for you guys. I was unable to find it, but... 
I believe they said that it was something in the order of 5x more uh, successful than using chemical controls. And so, again, if anybody finds that, I would, I would love to see it. If you could get it to me, I'll get it out to the rest of the audience. Um, next up, because of all this, again, their feed utilization. So number 12, their feed utilization is incredible. If you have grass, if you have some herbaceous uh, pasture, if you have you know, a climate that allows for a significant port portion of your year to have insects that they can predate on, uh, grasshoppers, etc., Because of that, you're going to feed them a very small amount per duck. Probably in the neighborhood of about two-tenths of a pound is what they're actually going to use in a good quality feed. Now, times of the year when that forage gets more sparse, they're going to move back up and probably be more in the neighborhood of about 0.4 pounds of food a day per duck, which is standard for confined animals. So that's kind of your upper limit. Conversely, though... I feed about 0.25 pounds to my uh, mallard breed ducks through most of the year and then more in the lean seasons, meaning that you're getting an increase there of about 20% on feed utilization. And the more you kind of force them to work, the more they will work and the less they'll use. So it's kind of up to you how far you want to push them uh, in that direction. But they have just a fantastic feed utilization. Uh, number 13 is they're quiet. And I would call all the noises they make for lack of a better word, cute. The, the girls will make this little bitty chirp sound. And sometimes, like, when they have, they are great mothers, so if they have babies and they feel a little bit threatened by you, they'll, they'll try to make an angry chirp sound, but it's still cute. Um, the females will also, people always say it's the males that hiss, but the, the, the males um, hiss more. But I've seen females hiss when they don't want you messing with the babies. And they don't hiss like a geese where it's like a... It's more of like a... Like a hiss, 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 hiss sound. And so the males do that all the time. They do it when they're mad. They do it when they're happy. They do it when they're greeting you. Um, they do this kind of thing with their head and they hiss. And then the females do this kind of happy chirp or angry chirp that sounds the same. The good side of this, though, is they're not going to cause any problems with neighbors. So if you have a flock of you know, any mallard breed, even like, say, six or eight of them, and you're in a residential area where you can have Karens and blue hairs causing problems, you let them out in the morning and it's, and when they want to eat, when you ignore them, when they're, they get pissed off if you don't feed them on time, and they, they make all this noise. You can keep chickens, and they're, if you don't keep roosters, they're a lot quieter. They're still noisier, just regular. I've had hens, like, I don't know they're having a hard time laying an egg. I'm sure everybody that's ever kept chickens has had this experience where they're like, on and on. Like, God, will that bird just lay that egg already and chill? Like, you get none of that. So as long as, like, the people that are just over the fence from you that can look in and see don't care... You're probably not even going to have anybody know that you're keeping them if you manage them properly. So they're really, really quiet. And if you want to actually breed your own prodigy, you want to be able to reproduce, you want to be able to let a certain number of birds come in every year, maybe cull some older birds, take some for meat out of the next generation, etc. You can have males to provide the male part that's necessary to have babies. And if, if, and if you keep roosters... You're going to have, as anybody that's listened to my Outback shows know, like Billy Roy screaming out there all the time, right? So you have this really quiet animal. Next, 
They are easy to sell the surplus ones off. Part of why it's taken me so long to uh, get any of them back onto the farm is whenever they pop up for sale, if I'm not really paying attention to Craigslist, they're gone. They're gone, and they're gone like that. Like this guy, I got in touch with him last week on a Tuesday, and I'm going, Wednesday I can't, Thursday I can't, Friday I can't. And I'm like, dude, look, here's my website. I run an actual farm. I'm not stringing you along. Please don't sell these out from under me. I want 10 girls, and I want two boys, and I will pay you cash for them. You're asking price. And he was like, cool, I won't do it. But, I mean, I was legitimately concerned that by the time that – I got over there if he, you know, because you get people telling you all the time online, I'm going to come buy something and they never show up. And the bird in the hand or the dollar in the hand is worth more than the dollar on the Craigslist, right? So he did hold them for me. I had a guy about two weeks ago that I was going to pick up some from. He said he would get back to me with a head count. I got in touch with him like a week later, like, dude, you know, do you have enough? What do you have? I'll take what you got. Oh, I sold them all. And so everything around me, when they show up for sale, they go really quickly. And to give you an example, well, what do they sell for? The females I got are really young. Some of them are starting to lay. Some of them are just on the edge of laying. I gave him 15 bucks a piece for the females. And I gave him 25 for the males. And the only reason he sold them that low to me is because I bought so many of them. Like I said, he normally sells the, the males for at least 35 and the females for 20 to 25. But since I was going to buy cash and buy that many, he gave me a deal. Because he also has a really big surplus right now. But they, guys, like properly marketed especially. And it, again, he sells a ton of them into kind of the Asian community, specifically in his area of Laos. Uh, because they appreciate how good they are. So you can make some pocket money. I'm not going to say you're going to make a fortune. You're not going to get rich or anything off of them. But you can take your surpluses and you can sell them. They also get along really well with other animals. In fact, I would say if there's any conflict, it's with chickens, and it's the chickens that are the aggressors. I've kind of seen chickens be mean to ducks in general. And muscovies tend to not be big on conflict with other animals. What you'll have is conflict, male-on-male conflict. They will fight with each other. They kind of bite each other and wing-beat each other until one asserts dominance, and then they go back on about their life. But with other animals, they kind of back off. Now, this is... This is an area where I think that uh, your mallard breeds have a little bit of an advantage. That that rooster of mine, that little bantam gamecock rooster, uh, Billy Roy, I've seen him get kind of aggressive with a duck and kind of try to spur him and stuff like that and be aggressive with him. And what will happen is one duck will back off a little bit, but then the whole flock will come and you end up with like six ducks with doing the head thing and then they, they run the rooster off where the muscovies will kind of shy away. Um, but they'll get along. They won't cause conflict with other animals whatsoever. Now, if they don't, if, if you don't have a, a good duck to drake ratio, the male muscovies are very much breeders. And if it looks like it can be bred, they'll try to beat it, breed it. Chickens, other ducks, small dogs. I mean, if it can be humped, they'll try to hump it. Now, if they have enough girls, they don't do this. But it is something to be aware of. You probably don't want one drake and one duck. You probably want something more like one drake and four girls. It's probably kind of your minimum threshold, and uh, then you can build your flock out from there or maintain it at whatever level you want. Uh, but they generally will get along with just about everything. They One really great thing about them is they tend 
to not really care about dogs at all. So as long as your dogs are decently trained, you're probably not going to have any you know friendly fire incidents where the dog eats the bird. Like I said, I did lose one when I brought Lucy here. I also I lost one uh, Muscovy. I lost one regular duck. I had another duck injured that I was able to save, and she tried to attack a 65-pound broadbreast turkey, and it beat her ass. And I think that was more than my training what got her like maybe ducks shouldn't be messed with. Um, but because they don't have this kind of natural instinct to run away when they see a dog that some other birds seem to, they're less likely to trigger that predator in the dog. Like when a dog walks up to something and it just looks at them like, what's your problem, man? What are you doing here? You got anything for me? Then they're kind of like, oh, I guess this thing belongs here. When a dog kind of comes up on something and it bolts, there's that instinct that, hey, if this thing runs for me, maybe I should chase it. So that calm nature generally spreads out beyond just that they get along with other barnyard critters. Last, 16, this is true of all ducks, but it's really true of muscovies. And it might sound like a neutral or maybe even a negative at first, but it's actually very, very positive. They are very suspicious of new things. They are very suspicious of anything new or anything different. If you keep them in a holding area and you let them out of the gate every day, and there's a second gate, and you, you go out one day after weeks and weeks of letting them out, this one gate over here, and you open this other gate over here, but you don't open their normal gate, you get a flock of muscovies that are like, what, what, they kind of look at it like, what is that? And anybody who's kept ducks in general knows they have this, the duck suspicion look. What is that thing? I'm not sure about that thing. I don't like that thing. There, if you remember, in Wayne's World, Garth was talking to, I think it was the character that, what's his name, uh, Rob, Rob Lowe, was that who it was, played? And he said something about change. And he's like, we fear change, right? Like, Garth fears change. And that's how they are. They don't like change. And again, this is a duck thing. In general, I had some tree surgeon people here one time taking some trees down for me. They laid out a tarp so that when they dropped all this limbs off the trees, it was easy to gather up. And I was like, okay, if you guys are going to start cutting, they already had their tarp down. I hadn't let the ducks out. I'm like, if you all move out, I'm going to open the coop and let the ducks out so they go do their thing so they're not all freaked out when they come out. They wouldn't walk across the tarp. And it was just like a, you know, like a 20 by 16 standard tarp, heavy-duty tarp, like you buy at, like, tractor supply. They came out, and they looked at it, like, uh-uh, no, no, something's wrong. I don't like that thing. So we ended up pulling the tarp away, shoot them all out, laid it back down, and they wouldn't go near the place until those guys were gone. How is this an attribute? So we all make mistakes on our homesteads and places where we've created containment in or containment out. In other words, we want to keep the animals in here, but we don't want to allow the animals to access this area. We leave something open or what have you. You do that with chickens. And chickens are naturally suspicious too, but chickens are like, oh, there's a new space. We better go over there and see what's in there. And all of a sudden they're tearing shit up, scratching shit up, crapping all over it and what have you. So because ducks, and specifically muscovies, are so naturally suspicious and so cautious... When you make that mistake, you have longer to correct it before they cause some sort of catastrophic failure in one of your systems. There are some negatives. Here's one. You absolutely need to capture them at least once a season and clip their wings. If you don't, they fly. And I don't mean like they fly over a fence. I mean they fly like wherever the hell they want to go. Whenever the hell they want to go there. Including like 
up on your roof, and then they poop on your roof. Or up on top of your car, and then they poop on your car. Or in my case, up on top of your beautiful 18-foot-in-the-sky pergola over my above-ground pool. And then they poop in your pool, and they poop on your deck. And then they come off the pergola, and they splash into your giant pool, and swim around in your pool, and poop in your pool more. So if you do not clip wings, you're going to have ducks that fly. They will then fly to your neighbor's house and maybe play with your neighbor's cat or you know poop on your neighbor's porch. And So you have to clip their wings. So it's not necessarily a big deal, but it is a thing that needs to be done. And this is why I think it's really important to train them to some sort of housing that they can be closed into. It makes capturing them a lot easier. And all you have to do is you'll know when they go into molt, As they begin to grow their feathers back from that molt, you know, just catch one every you know day as you're leading up to where you think the full regrowth is coming. And when you start to see the main flight feathers come out, clip their wings. I can't go into how to clip their wings today, but it's not a hard thing to do. It's it's something that anybody can learn to do. Uh, but you got to do it. Next is that seasonal egg production. Like I said, there's ways to mitigate it, but what you get is like. You go into spring and you get so many eggs you don't know what to do with them. There's a little lull. Then they come back and they give you a pretty good surge again. It trickles off. There's a little bit of like kind of end of season surge somewhere toward the end of summer. And then see you in the spring, man. And when I say spring, I mean about now to a little later from now when they start to produce again. But they are seasonal. And so there is a pretty big darth of no eggs or very few eggs. Now, again, what do you do about this? You keep a few animals that produce eggs during that period reliably. You, know, you put quail under lights and have eggs year-round, no problem. And then you have another meat source, another egg source. You keep a few chickens. Again, they'll get along pretty well with the uh, muscovies. And if anybody's the aggressor, it tends to be the chicken, unless you have an unbalanced flock and that drake, again, that drake muscovy will try to progenerate with anything that it can get on top of and that's that's a concern then if you do that but if you do that you'll be you'll you'll be fine i mean you 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 can also like i said and we do this all the time with our duck eggs because even normal ducks have this darth just during the time you really have a surplus you know give some away sell some but take some of that surplus and we generally do about four eggs in a scramble in as just a plain old you know like uh quart size ziploc bags zip the top put them in the freezer and Other than when you need, you know, fresh eggs, you've got eggs year-round anyway. I'm sure Jake would say to get a uh, to get a, uh, a freeze dryer. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, Jake and Nicole have both gotten in my head. Nicole Sauce have gotten in my head a little bit about uh, freeze drying and uh, and what have you. And Jake's asking a question again. I'm going to save most of the question for the end, but he said, "So lighting won't extend laying time, not with muscovies. And if it does, it'll only do it for a little bit around the peripheral. They are." Seasonal, all right. Uh, next is they can be difficult and even a little bit, just a little bit dangerous to handle. Their claws are sharp. Again, this is a wild animal, and it is a wild roosting animal. Its purpose in, in its life to stay alive is, is accomplished in many instances through finding timber that's flooded, and then flying up in the tree and sleeping at night in a tree. Because if you're surrounded by water, end up in a tree, you're pretty safe from predators in general. All right. 
To accomplish this, they have very sharp claws, and they have a very pronounced and sharp rear claw. So they have that, the standard claws in the front like any bird does, and they have a pretty big talon. I mean, it looks like you know maybe they were one genetic step away from becoming some kind of predator. I mean, it's, it's like little hawk claws. And so they can sit up in a tree, and they'll lock those claws onto that roost, and they stay stable and secure all night long while they sleep. When you pick one up, if it's not tamed to the like, I've seen people that are so tame you can pick them up, sit them in your lap, and pet them. If they're not like that, and I don't generally get my animal, I don't want my animals that tame. Then I don't have the ability to kind of forcibly move them when I want to. I want to be, I always say this with, my, with ducks in general, I want to be Santa Claus. Like little kids are really interested in Santa Claus. They know he brings cool stuff, right? He, he brings you treats, but he's also a little bit creepy. Right, he's a little bit creepy, and when you take the little kid to Santa Claus the first time, like the kid's like, "Oh, Santa!" And they're like, "No!" Like I want a little bit of that going on, right? And because of that, when you pick them up, if they panic, they kind of go with those claws, and they can cut you bad. As a kid, like I said, I used to run all these ponds and stuff, and I was like, I'm talking like nine, ten years old. I used to feed them bread and get them close enough and grab them. And I had a couple pretty nasty cuts by the males before I figured that out. That's how kids used to learn in the 80s. We just did shit and got hurt, and we learned not to do it again. Um, but, yeah, they, they can be a little bit dangerous. Now, this can be mitigated highly. First thing is wear long, slicks, slip, uh, long sleeves that are thick enough to protect you. So, like, you know, a Carhartt jacket or something would work. Um, even if it's warm out, you know, just while you're working with them, especially when you're learning to work with them, good, heavy sleeves. And not just gloves because... Where they get you tends to be the forearms when you're dealing with them, if you deal with them the way you deal with typical poultry. And especially, again, the, the males are ridiculously strong. I mean, you pick up a female, you're like, man, she's a tough bird. But, you know, they weigh five, six, seven pounds, right? Big female, seven pounds. A big male is like 15 plus, and they mean it, man. They're built for combat with each other. So they're tough and they're strong, and those... so. The easiest way to handle them, it looks mean, but it doesn't hurt them. Just like chickens, you grab them by the feet, hold them upside down, looks mean, but it doesn't hurt them. With Muscovies, the best thing to do is grab their wings, right where the wings join the body, and pick them up like that. They kind of go limp after they fight a little bit, and they really can't get to you. And then if you need to engage and control them more of a baby handling or whatever you can, um, to do wing clipping and stuff like that, or with the easiest thing to do with wing clipping... Have two people there, pick them up by the wing, have your, your, your assistant kind of spread the wing out, cut the flight feathers, and put them back down. But definitely protect yourself until you learn what you're dealing with, because I'm not just saying like a scratch. I'm saying might be a trip to the ER for stitches. They cut like knives. They're not aggressive. I've never seen one try to use them as a weapon like offensively. It's a defensive thing. And I don't even know that they're conscious of what they're doing. It's more like, I'm freaking the hell out, and I happen to have knives on my feet. So I just wanted to make sure you all knew that. And the last one seems like a good thing, and it is, unless you really like meat, they really can become your friends, especially a smaller flock. Um, they're very pet-like. Even though they're a wild animal, they, they greet you in the morning. They're happy to see you. Like my regular ducks, they're happy to see me because I have a bucket of food. They don't care about me. I gave a couple uh, Muscovies to Nick Ferguson, and I went over to his place like two and a half months after I gave him those ducks. And when I walked up to where he had them, they instantly recognized me. 
oh, it's you. And they started like doing the tail wag thing they do and doing the, the males were doing the stuff like, oh, it's you. Like it's him, right? So you can end up fairly bonded with them. And if you are seeking a meat production animal, you need to at least be aware of that. I'm not saying it's like, you know, processing a dog or something. It's, it's not that bad, but they do. Because somebody said, you know, maybe it's because they're ugly enough that you don't care about killing them. I think they're, they're ugly beautiful is what they are. Like you learn to love them for their ugliness because they're such wonderful critters. Basics of care. I don't want to go too much into today, but I do want to make sure I give you some of that. I think we've kind of hit some of it as we went through here. But water, like any duck, they need to be able to get their entire head into water. They need to be able to, to, to get into water and actually bathe. For reliable breeding, you need some sort of pool, tank, something for them to get into. The males are much bigger than the female. It's kind of an awkward thing for them to breed. When they're in the water, they're much more elegant. When you see breeding among ducks in general, but especially muscovies, it will often look like, hey, that drake's going to drown that girl. I've never seen it happen. I'm not going to say it never happened. I've never seen it happen. I remember being a little kid, not quite knowing what was going on, and seeing a lot of it going on in the ponds around my apartment complex. They know what they're doing. They, they, they would have wiped out their own species by now if they didn't. But water, and so if you don't have a pond for them, you're going to have to daily deal with water. Uh, next, shelter. I would say, again, they are subject to predation at night. So having some sort of an enclosed predator-proof coop, but it doesn't all need to be closed in. I've seen a lot of people that keep them. It's more like an aviary-type design, uh, you know, hardware cloth or whatever, and then you just have somewhere in the sheltered area a three-sided shelter for them to nest in and hide in and shelter from the, from the elements. Obviously, the colder the climate, the more closed-in shelter you want to be able to provide for them. Uh, and the more you can make their shelter comfortable, the more likely when they go broody they are to go sh to, to brood there. Uh, if you have one disappear, odds are you'll find it under a bush somewhere. And what will happen a lot of times, too, if you're always taking the eggs, and I've, I've seen this with chickens, I've seen it with regular ducks, I've seen it with muscovies, etc., You're always taking the eggs, and you got a girl, and she's like, I want babies. And she realizes, if I keep laying eggs in this spot, I'm never going to have babies. And they're very driven once they go into that broody mode to reproduce. They're smart enough in that little bird brain, they will go find a place that they don't think you'll find their eggs. And they'll start depositing in there, and they'll disappear. And again, I think it's 37 days Mama will come back with a bunch of babies. So keep an eye out for that uh, as well. Um, forage. All you got to do to encourage foraging is give them a place to forage. Whether it be, you know, keeping them alongside like bovine or equine animals like we talked about earlier, or just having decent pasture. And they are actually, in my opinion, far more prone to utilizing browse than regular duck breeds. There's a lot of things they'll eat that mallard breeds don't eat. For instance, you know, Nick's pretty, Nick Ferguson from the Expert Council is pretty big on uh, fodder trees. They love willow. The willow leaves, and they browse on it. And my, I have quite a few weeping willows on the property, and my weeping willows, they don't hit them very hard in the spring when there's tons of other stuff. But, like, as you go into fall and things start to kind of, like, die off, my willows always used to be, Three feet off the ground, like somebody came through with a hedge trimmer and perfectly trimmed all the weeping willows to three feet off the ground. 
which is about as high as a Muscovy duck with its wings clipped can jump. And I thought that all of the ducks were doing it. And when I got rid of Muscovies, it stopped happening. So that's one example right there that they're utilizing willow as a fodder species where my main ducks are not. Now, I don't know if maybe I made them hungry enough they would, but the Muscovies do it all on their own. And I've just observed them being more prone to feed on things like plantain and clover and stuff like that. My ducks, other ducks do as well, but they're, they're very good at browsing. So make sure you have good forage developed for them, and they'll use it. Wing clipping, again, if you don't do it, you're going to wish you did. And we talked about it enough, but I just want to throw that in there again. you got to clip their wings. Sourcing birds. I've always gotten mine from Craigslist. And... Um, It's, it's been the only place I've been able to, to reliably get them locally is through Craigslist. I'm sure there's other places people advertise them or whatever. I just never have seen them advertised anywhere else. And so that's where I would start. Metzer Farms is selling them. I think right now they're only selling pure white ones. They're going to be selling black, whatever that means. Later this year they're going to start selling those. And I do believe they're going to be willing to ship fertilized eggs that you can incubate. Um, so... Um, You can take that approach if you want to. My understanding is the reason that they're so hard to find through places like Metzer or like another place I've bought birds from, not Muscovies, but other birds, Cackle Hatchery, is that they don't, as babies, travel well in the mail. So I, I, I don't know how much I would endorse the idea of buying them from Metzer in the mail right now. However... Good news for those of you that like Metzer Farms and want to give them more business. I've, I've had to be the case where birds take a lot longer than they should to get to my property, and you lose some. And especially when you're shipping a bird from California to New England, you can imagine there's a lot of room for error in there. Metzer is opening up a new hatchery. I believe it's in Tennessee. It's, if it's not in Tennessee, it's somewhere kind of central located. And they're, they're creating a deal with, I think, FedEx, that FedEx will ship them overnight and deliver them to your local post office for pickup. So it's kind of a, a dealing with both FedEx and USPS at the same time. And that way you have a tracking number and a 100% guarantee of overnight delivery, et cetera, and that may make it a little bit more um, easy to order birds in the mail in the first place, but especially something like a Muscovy that has this reputation for not traveling well as a chick, especially if they end up an extra day or two, which happens in the mail. So um, that's, that's kind of my advice there. My advice, though, mainly is find them local if you can and check, check Craigslist. Somebody asked earlier, we're going to go through some Q&A here in a moment, but somebody asked earlier, if you buy them from a hatchery, will they forage well, brood well? No, they're going to be as wild as ones you go to the park and catch, right? And that would be another option. You know, we all have seen the meme, the, the elite don't want you to know that the ducks in the park are free, you can just take them home. I have 423 ducks now, right? Like, I, I don't think it's actually that free and clear to be taking ducks from parks and what have you. But i got to admit, every once in a while I see a really neat one, and I'm like, bet if I fed her a little bit of bread, I could get her to come a little close. And I don't think anybody's looking like, I guess that would be an option. And from a shit-hit-the-fan perspective, right, if things get really bad... It is the case that they could be gathered up from places like that before everybody figures it out anyway. Um, last is brooding. If you must do it, if you really want to, you can, but mama ducks will do a better job than you. I promise you, if you just leave the mother Muscovies do their thing, 
They will do a better job than you. They'll have a higher survival rate than you, etc. And I don't have this in my notes, but I probably should. Uh, somebody just said must fence, and I agree. Um, I kind of think that goes without saying that livestock involves good fencing, but good fences make good neighbors. And even wing clipped, they will wander especially when you have closer neighbors, and it's not just them going to cause problems, it's now you have the problem of your neighbor's dog that's not kept indoors or kept restrained comes and eats your birds. So I think good fencing is is kind of a must. Final thought before I take some Q&A here, and I've got a bunch of it kind of already uh, uh, marked off because of that new feature I found in StreamYard where I can star your questions when they're in all caps, uh, but they may not be for everyone. Somebody here already said, I just don't like them. Well, dude, what are you doing in this stream then, man? Um, but I think they're probably the best fit for the most people from the things that people keep telling me they want. I'm constantly hearing from people, I want a dual-purpose chicken. I want a great meat chicken that also is a good egg-laying chicken. There really isn't one. Muscovy ducks are a fan, like way better high-quality meat than any chicken you'll ever eat. They lay like crazy in the period which what they lay. They take care of themselves. They raise their own young. And the males are freaking 15 pounds if you let them go a year and feed them well. Like, that, that's exactly what you just told me you're looking at. I want to keep chickens, but they're too noisy. Okay, well, here's a bird that does that. I want a bird that is really a great forager but won't screw up my entire garden and my whole place. Here's a bird that does that. So when I... When I say they're the best for the most people, I mean by having experience with them my whole life, by having experience as a caregiver for them for about eight years. Um, by having eaten them, cared for them, you know, sold their eggs, eaten their eggs. Like some people have told me, like, well, I, I like duck eggs, man, but I don't like muscovy eggs. It's in your head. I've had people say that, and I cook them two eggs and put them side by side on a plate, say, eat them, tell me which is which. They can't tell. And they'll, you know, most people will get, yeah, I guess maybe I got some bad ones or something. There are bad duck eggs. There's bad animal husbandry. There's a lot of times with duck eggs, they're so unlikely to be found commercially that they're old and, you know, kind of past their prime. Properly raised, you can't tell a duck egg from a, a, a rowan from a duck egg from a muscovy. So they, they just hit bang on with everything. And that less messy thing, I've seen some people do something they call duck ponics, right? Duck ponics. And basically what they're doing is they're taking the tanks that the water's in and they're recirculating it through like aquaponics. When somebody told me about that, I was like, that's, that's a fun story. That's a fun story. Yeah, you go try it and you're going to have so much nastiness and sludge. From what I see, from what's left in the tank... When they're done doing their thing, I think you can do it with scubbies. I still think there's a head count to the size of system that has to be maintained, but it can be done with muscovies. So they are just incredibly versatile. As a permaculturist, I love that they're so predictable. When I put a design element into a system, I need to know its intrinsic characteristics, how it acts, what its inputs and requirements are, what its behaviors are. I need to know all of that. Well, with a Muscovy duck, I'm like, well, I can put them with cattle, and they'll follow the cows around and break the pest cycle. And they'll get so much forage in that environment that I'll barely have to feed them. So that's one way they can be used, because I know those characteristics, and they're so ingrained in them. Right? If I try that with a chicken, it may work some of the time. Right, So I just think they're kind of the best fit for the most people in general, especially if we can get past this 
Prejudice we have because of appearance. I remember my uncle used to tell me all the time when I was a kid, oh, they're scubs. That's what he used to call them, scubs. Scub ducks. I'm like, why don't we try eating them? He's like, oh, they're terrible. Oh, they're terrible. You know, they're, they're just awful. Um, I guarantee he never ate one. I remember the first time I talked to one of those Pennsylvania Dutch farmers about it, and uh, I won't try to do the accent those guys have. It's very unique. But he just basically said, I don't mean to offend you, but your uncle's stupid. And he was right. Like, at least in that regard, my uncle was stupid. So I'm going to start answering some questions now. Um, you can continue to drop them in all caps for me, um, but I am on a different view right now, so I'll come back when I get through these that I've sidelined throughout the whole thing. Uh, Jason says, how well do they do in northern climates when everything freezes over for the winter? And like I said, all I can tell you is they live fine in the farm country of Pennsylvania. That's pretty cold. Everything freezes over. They still need water. So you're going to have to have some way that you can provide them a way to bathe and especially to get their whole head in the water to clean their glands and things like that during the winter. So any livestock we keep, um, that's going to be uh, difficult. Tom says, I have wild muscovies here. Tom lives in Florida. Like I said, Florida has wild muscovies everywhere. Lisa says, hey, great idea. I could sell muscovy bucks for food security. You absolutely could. And so one of the things I think we need to look at with animals that we can raise as meat animals uh, for sale, or we can raise for sale, period. If I can raise 10 Muscovy ducks, and I could sell them for, let's say, $200, and the person I'm selling to them is going to eat them or not, I still have $200. I have $200 that I can go buy the food that I can't raise with. And this is something I've always taught from a homestead business standpoint. Even if the thing that you're raising could be sold for food, it might be worth more money just to sell it, period, or to sell as breeding stock. So if you look at rabbits, you can generally sell a, a, a high-quality breed, good genetic line of rabbit alive to somebody that wants to make more rabbits for more money than you could take the bunny and skin it out, and dress it, and sell it as a meat product. right? So it's not just about the fact that you can raise something for your own use. If you can raise something that's marketable, um, then you can also procure other items with it. Lisa also says, how could I structure that to make it worth my while? Muscovy bucks. Um, I, 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 I think that, again, that's that's about developing a local market, Lisa, and, and, and effectively marketing your product. And I think one of the best ways, if you live in an area of any size of settlement, is to define the ethnic communities that their demand outstrips the supply, period. When, when we were doing tons of ducks, we had, again, over 150 animals on the property. We had a lot of restaurants as customers and things like that. And sometimes a restaurant, we'd lose a restaurant, or we'd just end up with an unusually high production cycle, and we'd end up with a surplus of eggs. And my wife, when she would go get her nails done, the nail salon she went to was all uh, Asian uh, women that worked in a nail salon. And she'd, she'd leave here with like two dozen duck eggs. And she'd go in and get her nails done and all and tell them, yeah, I have duck eggs for sale. I have them in the car in our giant cooler, and this is what we have. And, and, and they always haggled, you know, like it's, they're $8 a dozen. Oh, we buy all of them. Okay, they're $8 a dozen. But she'd come home with no eggs. And, and they, she said that if, if they didn't buy them all instantly, they'd be on the phone talking to people and like, oh, I take those too. And they would buy everything she had. 
So I think one of the ways that we can be more effective with marketing some of the, the homestead products we have is to find the match in the community that's, that desperately wants what we have and can't get enough of it here because it's not necessarily a really big thing in, um, in American culture. Uh, Jake says, is an IBC tote a practical duck house? Maybe. I mean, I, I, I don't know that that's a great product to make a shelter with. It has zero insulative uh, properties. It, they tend to become really hot in sun and do very little other than wind block. I think if you adapted it properly, you probably could, but I think there's better ways to do that. Um, again, I'm more big on like the three-sided wooden kind of lean-to shelter for them. They, they really seem to appreciate that. And I also think that with Muscovies, it would look odd to them. And as we talked about, they're really suspicious. I can see if you tried to get them to go into something the size and shape of an IBC, you might get a lot of that duck stare of like, no, that's that thing's not safe. And I, I don't think it would really work out really well. Again, Rob asked about average weight dressed out. Again, your females, when fully grown, you're looking at like a four and a half to five and a half pound dressed carcass. Males, you're looking somewhere north of 10 pounds. And really big ones may go live weight up to like 18, and they're going to dress out around 14. Um, Uperman. Jack, will they breed with other breeds of ducks? Again, they'll breed with anything that they think they can hump. Uh, the drakes are pretty sexually aggressive. But they can cross-breed with mallard breed ducks. And what you'll get is a mule. In other words, you'll get a duck called a mullard. And you will almost never get it the other way. You'll almost never get the mallard drake breeding the female muscovy primarily because she won't let him. And, and, and they're pretty adept at not letting themselves be bred when they don't want to be bred. And I've never seen it really aggressively tried by the mallard breeds. They seem to like kind of stick to their own type thing. The muscovies will breed the female ducks. And again, you'll get a bird called a mullard. And it is an exceptional meat animal. And it has a significant amount of hybrid vigor. And it will grow to meat size quite a bit quicker if you can encourage it. And I guess the way to encourage it would be keep a flock of female mallard ducks, maybe a large breed like a Rowan or Peckin or something like that, and keep Drake Muscovies and don't keep many or any female ducks. That's probably how it's done because it is done commercially and they are sold commercially. Um, not what I want to do, but definitely, and it does happen organically. Uh, when we had the mixed flock before, and I'm sure it'll happen again, we had quite a few that were born, uh, that were hatched out, and you're like, oh, that's a mullard. And when they're itty-bitty babies, you can't tell. But four weeks into it, when they're about twice as long as all their, their, their litter mates, you know, and then they have a certain, they, they clearly look Muscovy-ish, and again, they're, they're going to be uh, infertile, and they're, they're going to grow a lot faster, and they kind of have a goofy look about them in a way. Again, a mule. And uh, they're fantastic. When it happens, it's certainly worth um, using them as meat animals. Uh, they're not going to be productive in any way. So they're pretty much destined to be meat animals. Uh, again, Girl Walks with Goats says, Do hatchery discoveries still have good brood instincts? Absolutely. I'm, you know, I, and, and you're going to have any generalized view of any species of animal 
You're going to have you know, some that are more exceptional or less exceptional at it, but in general, it doesn't matter. Would a Muscovy do in a Chicksaw with netting rotation? Thanks, Jack. I love the videos. So Chicksaw, I believe, is uh, Justin Rhodes' creation, which is basically chicken coop that's like a rickshaw that you can pick up and, and wheel around and then put out your electro netting and move them and pulse them through a landscape. I can't see any reason that wouldn't work with Muscovies. Again, you really, 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 really need to make sure you're clipping wings. Now, the only thing about that is whenever I've kept birds, I use I've always used tough sheds as coops. And the kind of threshold to get into them is pretty low to the ground. There's none of this like walking a plank like a lot of chickens do up into a coop. I'm not so sure how Muscovies would would uh, address that. It might take a while to get them. Uh, you, uh, K Monks has made salt cured yolks from Muscovy eggs. Farmer sold don't have a source anymore. Bun. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> K Monks says, will they clear land? I. Okay, so if you keep them in a confined space where they can't move around enough, which a lot of people like the guy I bought mine from tend to do, they will wipe everything out. And it will be a combination of foraging and the constant pounding of feet and the compaction of soil. If you put them on land that is a bit overgrown, they'll help a little bit. If you have fairly maintained property that they're going to browse and graze through, They'll reduce your need to mow extensively. You'll probably mow 30% as much as you would if they weren't there. And so that's great, but they're not going to clear land as in, I'm going to take this overgrown, massive, you know, tangled mess and put muscovies in it, and it's going to be opened up. Unless you really tightly contain them and then only so much. I mean, that's really more the job of something like pigs or... Uh, depending on what you're dealing with chickens, like chickens, anything up to, you know, about thumb size, they can pretty much root up and, and what have you scratch out if they're com uh, they're confined. Uh, Jake says, comfrey, question mark. I guess he's asking if they'll eat that. Yes, they will eat that. Do they need to be, Jake also says, do they need to be fenced? Can you train them to remain in a certain area? They do need to be fenced. No, you cannot train them to remain in a fenced a certain area. They may tend to remain in that area, but if they feel like going somewhere else, they will. Uh, and again, because they're more of a ground bird and because you need to make them a complete ground bird, um, they're really subject to predators. And the number one predator, for all the talk of raccoons and coyotes and, and bobcats and stuff that we do in this, this space, the number one thing that kills people's livestock is feral dogs, stray dogs, or your neighbor's dog that's not well controlled. That's the number one thing. And they, they, really are at risk to that. So I would use fencing as much to keep them in as to keep dogs and other predators out. Have you, David says, have you had Muscovy's cross with mallards? Yes, we already talked about that. Um, can Muscovy ducks defend themselves against hawk from Yud P? No and yes. So in general, no, they cannot. However, the majority of hawks that tend to take our poultry... Uh, at least in my part of the country, are Cooper's hawks. It's a relatively small hawk. And what I've learned over the years is that smaller hawks are not real keen on taking large birds. It's not that they can't kill them. It's that if they do, they can't carry them. 
And then, therefore, they have to eat them on the ground where they're vulnerable. So unless that animal's really hungry, they tend not to do it. I've even had two, I've lost two bantam chickens recently that were fairly heavy little plump bantam girls. Of course, they were both hands. Of course. Um, the, the only thing that I can guess killed them were hawks, probably Cooper's hawks, because they were fed on to a, a, a minor degree and left. And you could tell that like feathers were pulled off of a specific area, and they fed in both instances, like kind of into the under the wing and through the one side of the breast, and then they were left. Like that hawk killed, ate as much as it could, as fast as it could in one go, and got the hell out of here before Charlie or Lucy ate it or whatever other dangerous thing it was afraid of uh, happened. So even in that case, these were bantam chickens; they had a hard time getting rid of them. So. When they're looking down at birds that are five to seven pound females, and you're looking at males that are 12, 15 pounds that are kind of aggressive, they do a lot of showboating and all, it's kind of not really a fun place for a small avian predator to go. And I have no doubt that if you had a hawk going after hens, that a Drake Muscovy would get aggressive. I don't know that it could do much. But there's a lot of bluff going on in the animal world, and I I, I have never had a problem uh, with that happening. I'm going to switch back over to the live comments now. That was all the ones I had um, geared up. So if there's any more comments, go ahead and I will uh, I will address it. But I think we're about to wrap up. I really hope you guys enjoyed this live stream. Um, I will be doing quite a bit of chronicling uh, of. The, this new flock of birds, especially as I'm sure we'll have broody moms uh, in a month or two. Um, and then uh, Surf Bummer says, are they relatively aggressive in mating kind of male duck? Thank you. Yeah, like, like I said, they're, they're, they're aggressive. They'll, t they'll hump a small dog if they don't get some duck loving. I mean, they, they, when I, and I don't mean aggressive as in um, harming the target of the breeding, I mean, aggressive is in willing to do the deed and, and, and get the deed done. Anyway, guys, I appreciate you guys being with us today. I am going to chronicle quite a bit of what goes on with these new birds as they uh, adapt to the farm. And I encourage you to at least consider these, these guys in your, uh, your future plans. I do think they really have a place in homestead, small and large alike, and certainly in designing permaculture systems because... Again, there is something about the reliable nature of behavior and intrinsic characteristics in any element of design. With that, I will catch you guys later. And remember, you can find the audio version of this podcast, the intro and outro, and all the resources about one hour after this feed ends. All right, with that wrapped up, let me remind you once again, you can always support this show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there before you start your shopping, and no matter what you buy, if you're shopping online, you will help support us in the work that we do. You'll also find all the items that I review and recommend. Again, anything you see at T-SPAS, it's all categorically uh, alphabetized, so you can see by different categories and all the stuff I've recommended over the years. I own it, I buy it, I use it. I would buy it again or I wouldn't recommend it to you. And occasionally I find a new product that's better and I'll take the old review and instead of taking it down, I'll just say from now on I recommend this. 
I believe that's, you know, that's, that's integrity. If I wouldn't use it and spend my money on it, why would I recommend it to you? Today's item of the day was just a little quick one, and it already, if you're listening to this and you didn't know about it, you missed out at least to a degree. It's the DeWalt 20-volt Max XR Jigsaw. This is like their top-end cordless jigsaw, brushless tool, and this has happened before, and it's why I keep telling you guys you really want to get on the TSP Telegram channel. That way you get these announcements about, especially when there's deals like this, before the show goes out. So this item re retails for $219. That's the bare tool. Again, this is a top-end jigsaw. And right now it's $50 off. As I'm sitting here looking at it, $16 left in stock. It says order soon, $168.95. This morning there were eight in stock, and it was $134. And this happens when DeWalt runs sales all the time. They never announce them in advance. They see, It seems to me that they kind of have a flow control that they do with sales. Like, we want to sell this many, so we'll put this many in at this price, and when they're gone, we'll, we'll, we'll raise the price, and then we'll go back to normal. So there were eight for sale this morning. They all sold out. I can tell by looking at my reports that over half of them went to this audience, and they're gone now. But now they have 16 in stock, 168 bucks. It's still a good deal. It's not that great deal. Uh, that it normally would be. And whenever I see one like that, I'm always like, do I do that as an item of the day or not? Because I know what's going to happen. But the other thing is I want you know to make it make you guys aware of it when those deals come out. I do a really good job of monitoring for deals, especially under the items that I recommend. So if you, if you want to make sure that you'll know, because maybe you didn't care about a jigsaw, but who knows what you will care about for that and many other reasons. Get on the TSP Telegram channel. There's a link to do so in the notes of every single podcast episode at the main website. And again, there's a channel and a group. The group is where there's like a couple thousand people in there talking to each other. The channel is where you just get my announcements, usually about four or five a day. It's like test messaging. Pay attention to what you want to pay attention to. Don't what you don't. You can also help support us how. Become a member of the MSB. Um, if you listen to this show frequently and you like the work that we do, Just look at it this way. If you think the show's worth 20 cents an episode, you should probably be a member. Then take the, the money you've invested and get it back plus a profit by using the discount codes. We have discounts on so many things. The discount on the Start9 server will pay for your membership out of the gate. Discount on a lot of CBD products will pay for your membership with one or two orders out of the gate. The discount on ButcherBox will pay for your membership more than twice for a year because it's $10 a month on a monthly product that's $120 a year. So do consider becoming a member. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Again, I thank you for being with us today. If you want to catch the live streams, again, it's really a good idea to be on that Telegram channel. That is like follow me on social and all that, but you never know how that's going to work out. But definitely if you're on the Telegram channel, with very rare exceptions, I announce those live streams before they come in. The more interaction we have, the more I can make sure I'm serving the audience, make sure if I said something that was misunderstood, somebody points it out and I correct it, that type of thing. Uh, and with that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? said you should have a house the American way a dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay there's a better way to do this let me 
Revolution is you. 